I know we have a training this afternoon, so I'm not going to, it's not going to take a whole lot to finish and say what I have to say this morning. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these things, says he, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. I have found them liars. Now, it's very impo important that we, we, we take note of that verse 2. Because all the discussion and all the controversies about people that claim to be born again and they are not really born again, you see right here, there were people in the early church who claimed not only to be born again, but they called themselves apostles. Which means they paraded themselves as born again believers and in fact they are liars. Verse 3, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So this morning, I'm just going to speak to us for a few minutes on returning to your first love. Returning to your first love. Now, when we read this, the traditional, conventional, religious definition of first love goes something like this. I would say, do you remember the date I first met my wife? The first love that was kindled when I first married her. And we will seek, we will, the, the tendency is to try to compare this first love with the time you first met your spouse or your mate, your husband or your wife. And the truth of the matter is, nothing could be further from the truth. Very easy to prove that. We've been married for 37 years. So if I want to talk about my first love or the first time when we first got married, the love was great, it was passionate, it was wonderful, it was beautiful, no doubt. But God forbid that after 37 years, I'm going back to that first love. Because that first love, 37 years ago, was not tested. In 37 years, life has happened. We fought battles together. We've born children together. We've gone through life and hell and death together. So for sure, after 37 years, trying to equate this first love of which Jesus is speaking to when we first got married does not do it any justice. Because in 37 years, that love has multiplied and deepened. 
In other words, if it was possible 37 years ago for somebody to write down for me, Bucci, that if you marry this man or if you marry this woman, all of these things will happen to you. This is a sure banker. Let me tell you now where you'll be in 37 years. Do you still want to marry him or her? Do you see the answer? Easy. That, that's, an, that's, an, that's a very easy answer. Because from that perspective, if we were told precisely, and if we knew precisely what it would be like for the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years, the next relationship, say, ah, based on the love I have right now, I cannot, I don't have the capacity to carry it. Let's bring it spiritually. Is this passage talking about my first love, the time I first got born again? Because that's a conventional interpretation. Your first love. So for like, remember the first day you gave your life to Jesus? Remember how you felt that day? Go back to that love. No, I don't. No, I don't want to go back to that love. For the same exact reasons. Because since I came to Jesus, me and Jesus have been through life together. The day I met him, and from where I am now, a whole lot of life has happened. Good times, bad times, tough times, easy times, times when I'm in a straight Times when I don't know what to do. Times where I don't know where to go. And in and through all of those times, I have found him to be consistently consistent. Therefore, I cannot go back to that date to judge and to say, this is what it is. No. Because in time, Jesus has proven himself. If anything else, over time, that relationship gets better. You don't want to go back there. That's not what the Bible is talking about. You follow me so far? So when it says we need to go back to our first love, it cannot be talking. When it talks about we, need to, we have left our first love, it cannot be talking about the initial encounter. No, it's not possible. Are you still here? Do you want to return to your first love? Yes. <laughs> you guys have not decided what you want to do. Okay. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to define it for you in a minute, but let's just go to Ephesians chapter 2 first. It's amazing because as you begin to now read the scriptures, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Don't forget, Revelation chapter 2, what we just read, verses 1 through 4, was written to who? The Ephesian church. Hello? Did you get that? To the church at Ephesus. Right. So years after Paul had started this church, written to this church, years later, Jesus came back, evaluated that church, and wrote to the church. So to really fully get an understanding of what's happening here, we need to go to the book of Ephesians. And we can read the whole six chapters, but we don't have time for that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you he made alive 
who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the loss of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Ha, look at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy. Why? Why is he rich in mercy? Because of his great love with which he loved us. Now, please, 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 slow it down, slow it down, slow it down. Why is he rich in mercy? Because of his love? No, no, no. Because of his great love. Not just love. This is where we miss it. Why is God rich in mercy? Why when you and I are deserving hell and death? Why when we are deserving of punishment and reprimand? Why when we are deserving of chastisement? Why does he continue to show us mercy? Because of, no, not his love. Because of his great love wherein he loved us. Ma, 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 ma. Because of his what? Great, say, say that with me, say great love. Great love. Wherein he loved us. Okay? Even when, verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses. In other words, this great love did not begin when you became born again. This is the amazing thing about this scandalous love. He did not begin when you found him, when you knew him. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast. Now, now, let's go back to Revelation chapter 2. Isn't it interesting that Paul never wrote these specifics to any other church but Ephesians? Notice what they said to them. You are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. He did not write that to any other church but to this Ephesian church. So he's telling them you are saved by grace. You access grace through faith. Now understand Ephesians church, it is the gift of God. You can earn this. It's not of works because if it's of works, you will be boasting. Did you notice what you said to them? Now, with that in your mindset, go back to, to Revelation chapter 2. Verse 2. What was the commendation that Jesus gave this church? I know your what? 
Oh, come on, guys. Are you here? I know your faith. I know your works. The very thing Paul warned you against. The very thing at the inception of the church that you are cautioned about, that you are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is amazing to me that of all the seven churches that Jesus will address at the end of the age, Ephesians was number one. And what he brought to the table was their works. Let's read it again. I know your works. In case you're trying to argue, okay, what is this work? Is it, is it the work by faith? Is it, no, no, your labor. Your patience. And uh, you cannot bear those who are evil. You are so, criti- you are so critical. If a, if a person came in and they didn't match right up where you are, you eat them up. You can't bear evil. Ah, no evil for me. Even though you've been sent into the world to checkmate evil, yet you can't stand it. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You've persevered, have patience, and have labored for my name's sake. All the labor was in the name of Jesus. They did it in Jesus' name. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. What is the first love? It's time to deal with it now. That word first in the Greek is the word protos, which means primary love, which means foremost love. So what he said to them is, I see you have engaged in activities. Read in Amplified, that's what it says. You have a lot of activities going on. You are busy. You are doing works. But you have left your foremost love. You have left your primary love. And this foremost love, primary love, is not talking about the love they had for God. It's not talking about how they felt when they first came to the kingdom of God. What he's saying to them is, you have substituted the love of God towards you. And what you've been trying to do is appease God with what you can offer him. Did you guys get what I'm just saying to you? First love. First, not to my love to God or when I met God or when you met your wife. No, that's not what he's talking about. First love means primary love. Foremost love. He's talking about God's love for them. So this was a very busy church, but a loveless church. But it's amazing to me that Paul warned them about this. You are saved by grace. Through faith. It is a gift from God. It is not of works, not your activities, not your business. Why? Because if you begin to look at your business and your activities alone, apart from faith, making you do those things, you're going to become boastful and proud. Are you following what I'm saying to you? So he says to them, you have left your first love. Why is this so important? Ephesians chapter 3. 
Ephesians chapter 3. Return unto your first love. Verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he will grant you, according to his riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, what, what does he want us to be grounded in? Works? Love. Love. What kind of love is he talking about? May be able to comprehend Comprehend with all the sense what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Why do I know, need to know, know this love of Christ? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the reason. This is the reason. Listen, the way you and I get to be filled to the fullness of who God is, is through his love. It's true, it's love. It's true, it's love. Now, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. How does this happen? Romans 5. Romans 5. We need to get this. Because I'm telling you, <laughs> the degree to which you get this and you understand this for your life, for yourself, to that degree you become unstoppable. Unstoppable. Jesus told the official church, you have left your first love. You've been removed from the anchor of knowing how much God loves you. And out of that insecure place, you've replaced it with your activities. In other words, your activities outside and apart from God is compensation for you to the love you don't receive. Now, at this point, it's important to say this. Are we saying we don't do anything for God? Absolutely not. We dealt with that last week. Faith without works is dead. But the works we do for God are works that are generated by the Spirit because we are working with God. These works are a response to our faith, a response to the work that God has done in us. It does not substitute our relationship for God. We are not working for God to appease God, to get approval from God, to, to be accepted by God. We are working with God because we are already accepted. We are working with God. Oh my God. What, what we just prayed just now, the prayer we just prayed for these nations, that is a classic example of working with God. And I think it's important that we, for a moment we just understand. That's how it happens. Jesus said, what I see my father doing, that's what I get involved in. Not what I saw bank do or Kenneth Copeland do or Creflo Dollar do. No. But when I see my father at work, that's an invitation to me to get involved in it because my father is already doing it. Who else would divinely orchestrate that Qatar does not receive these people? They're brothers. They're Islamic brothers. The natural tendency would have been for all these people that are displaced to go to Saudi Arabia or Qatar or Kuwait or United Arab Emirates. 
But those guys are totally asleep. They're on a divine amnesia. Thank God. God put them all to sleep. Why? Because it's at work. So what I'm saying to you is, if there's a pulling or a door, an opportunity for you to get involved in that, I'm telling you, you're not missing God. That's how you know what God is doing. And whatever you do in such an enterprise, you know you right on, on it, because God is the one that started it. That's the way it works. God is the one who's at work. And we join him in his work. And when you do that, you will never lack resource. Never. It's absolutely impossible. Because he ordered it. He will pay for it. Beyond and above what you can think or ask. I guarantee you. But just as he's doing that in Europe, I'm telling you, he's doing that around you even now. The reason we don't know, and the reason we're not involved, and the reason we're not getting the benefits of our obedience is because we've not paid attention to hear what God is saying. It's all around us. The best prayer you can ever pray any given day is when you wake up in the morning and say, God, where are you at work today? Which vineyard are you working at today? How can I join you in what you already started? That's the best prayer you can ever pray. And you just wait in the spirit the rest of the day, allowing God to just prompt you, show you, tell you, you hear something, and you know, you will know, you will know, you will know that this God, this is what God is saying. And you get involved in it. Ah, man. Pastor Charles is right. We were talking this morning, earlier this morning, and I've told you guys this, we made a commitment when we were Thailand the last time to go and train in Burma in, in, in January next year. And I came back and told you how much it will cost. And in our meeting this morning, even though we talked and we said, hey, how are we going to fund all these things? The question arose, do we fund it based on what we have in the books? Or based on what God is doing? I'm going to tell you something. I've already started with God a long time ago. I will never act on the basis of what I see. That I can tell you. And we concluded that we will let God determine what commitments we made and we're going to trust God for it. That was how we left the room. Pastor Charles, you guys don't know this yet. Already, there is a commitment for all of that money one time by one individual already the money is in the bank the money is already in the bank you guys are debating okay what would you we'll go and check atm balance how much is there nonsense that's why you are in lack and you'll never get a dime because you are trying to serve god and obey god on the person where you can see You don't know how aggravating this is for me as a leader. Because I know where God is trying to take us. And I'm seeing the things, the hindrances, the enemy is throwing along our ways that will not let us concentrate and focus on God. Ecclesiastes 11.3 says, He that observes the wind will not sow. And he that observes the clouds will never reap. 
Translation. You are going to sow on the basis of what you have. You've already missed it. Because you are doing it in your own strength. But the joy, when you don't have it, and God is saying something to you, and you commit, not based on what you have, but based on what God has spoken, and you wait for God, who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above that which you can ever think or ask, to show up. That's when you have joy. Because you know for a fact now, it's not you. I will not rest until we all get there. Before we can finish the meeting, good. I already got a commitment. The entire $3,000 for Obama is in. So if God did that once, can he do it again, Pastor Charles? Absolutely. When the commitment was made in Obama, I had no idea how much we had or did not have. But I knew God was sending us there. And you open your mouth. You speak it out. You've got to make a sound. You have got to make a sound. The sound you make is what brings in the power of God to accomplish what you are looking for. How did Joshua overtake the walls of Jericho? He did not do it by counting how many men do we have. Do we have the ability? Can we do it? Can we not do it? No! He simply heard God said, March! And make a shout the seventh time. As crazy as it sounds, as ridiculous as it sounds, it's in there and obeyed God and when he obeyed God the walls came down mind you there was no precedence he did not have a bible to read and say it happened before he just stepped in obedience to what he heard what a shame it would have been if he was waiting for confirmation before he moved And miss the opportunity to win a battle that heaven already won in his behalf. That's where many of us are. And the reason we're hedging is because we fully don't understand his love. That's the reason we're hedging. We don't fully comprehend his great love. We are still afraid. Where does fear come from? Perfect love casts out fear. We are afraid because we don't trust love. That's the problem. I'm praying that God will raise love giants in this house. Men and women who will not just reason, analyze God with their head, but just receive God in their heart. And say, God, it's good enough for heaven. It's good enough for me. Yeah. Are you going to begin to see things happen? Amen. It will happen. Amen. Because that's the way heaven operates. You can never figure God out with your head. If you can, it's not God. Yes. What do you need God for? If you can figure it out. It, it, I mean, it, it, all, it, it, this is danger. All of us are saying, yes, you are right. We are saying that now. In the day of action, what's your position? This is my fear for us. 
that when we are talking here in this room, everybody says, yes, go ahead. Amen, pastor. But tomorrow when you have to make a decision, you go back to the law. That's the problem. And that's why you are never able to prove God that God is who he says he is. You go back to your natural default. And I'm saying to you, you've got to change the way you think before your behavior will change. You have to. This just happened this morning. So he said, Pastor, does that, does that mean we cannot give more to edit more to Burma? No, you can keep on giving. Now, why? Why can you keep on giving? Because we're not going to do the meeting just one time. We're going to do it in January. We're going to do as many times as God opens the door. And if we have more than enough, how about Europe? We help them somewhere else because we realize that this money is not for us to keep. No, it's not for us to put in the bank. It's for us to invest in the kingdom of God. Absolutely. We're insecure in his love. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. Your child that has your love security will never be afraid to ask you for anything. They know that if it's within your resources to supply it, they got it. And they don't do it second guessing you. Romans 5.5 now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, God secured this from the day you got born again. The first thing he did, notice the language there. He didn't give you his love. What did, thank you, Pastor Charles. What did he say? He poured it! <sighs> We're missing so much. See, imagine what we are talking about. This shows you how overly, scandalously generous God is. He didn't just give you a seed of his love, he poured it. Pouring, talking about how overly generous. I can give it to you, but I'd rather pour it on you. You have a, a, a supply that was poured in. In you. So the love of God, that's it, is already in you. So God wants you to know listen, what you need to become like me, I place it in you. Because I don't want you to fail. I want you to be able to believe me. Now, let's look at 1 John chapter 4. I'm almost done. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Verse. Look at verse 10. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And because He loved us, what did He do? He sent His Son. To be a propitiation for our sins. Amen? Verse 16, the same verse. The same chapter, I'm sorry. Verse 16. And this is the key. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. This is the issue. We say this by mental assents, but we don't really believe it. Because if you did believe it, you won't be doubting it. 
Let me just close by reminding of six things that we see in Luke chapter 15. Six things, very quickly. Let me just close on this returning to our first love by showing you six things from Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is the passage that we addressed on the protocol song. So the essence of this morning's message is to encourage you to stay in, in the love of God. To remind yourself over and over and over that God loves you with his great love, great emphasis, great love. Okay? From Luke chapter 15, six things that can help us in our love relationship with God. Number one, the fact that the father in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal God, the father was never at any time angry with the younger son. Can you believe that? At no point in all of that story did you see the father being angry with that young man. It is important that you remember that God does not have a vendetta against you. And you know this because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that love does not count of evil that's done to it. At no time, not any time, and you read the entire passage, you cannot find it. The father was not at one time. And so, for you and me, you need to know, no matter how you failed yesterday, your shortcomings last week, what you did not do last month, what you are going to fail next week or next month or next year, God is not angry with you. He's not angry with you. He's bigger than that. He already saw your failure and factored it in. And, oh my God. Rather than him convict you of your failure, he convinces you of your righteousness. How do I know that? I'm not just speaking from my head. I'm getting from scripture. When the boy walked up to his father and began to complain, Father, I have sinned against heaven. What did the father do? Bring him the best robe. The robe that represents righteousness was to convince him, I never thought of you any less than who you are. You are still the righteousness of God. I'm convincing you, affirming you as my righteous son. Never angry with him. And so your father, right now, is not angry with you. Don't believe the lie of the devil. Amen. Number two. Number two. And I'm closing now. Number two. Look at these three dimensions of this boy. He was a son in the house. He was a son when he left away from his father. And he was a son when he returned. Did you hear that? He was a son before he ever left. While he was gone, lavishing in misery, he was still a son. Because he said, I will arise and go to my father. And when he returned home, and was trying to negotiate for a lesser role, his father said, this my son was lost. Son before, son while he was gone, and son when he returned. I don't care how far you go. You can pack your back and go on this, on, this, on the journey. I'm telling you, you are a son, a daughter of God. God will not relinquish his right over you just because you mess up. 
you can take that to the bank. And knowing that should propel you to, to, to believe God for great things in the kingdom of God. I am not sharing this so we can be just sit down, fold our arms and say, oh man, what a wonderful thing. Heaven is my home. I can't wait to go and get my mansion in heaven. No! That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying these things to encourage you so you realize the resources that are available to you in the kingdom of God. I said, my father, where are you at work? Where can I join you in this great divine enterprise? I want to fully represent you as your ambassador so you know what's available to you. This will enable and empower us into action in faith. Number three, he was never, still talking about the younger son, was never banished from the father, by the father. He left on his own. <laughs> he was never banished from the father, by the father. He left on his own. Huge. I can could, I could spend another hour on that one point. But so self-explanatory. It was never banished from the father, by the father. No. He left the father on his own choice. On his own choice. Yeah, me and you can make bad decisions. We can, and we do. Many times, actually. We made bad decisions. But your bad decision, I am telling you, does not make God banish you. You may leave his presence and leave and just say, I'm going to be a wild, mad, stupid person on your own volition. You can do that. That's your right. That's your right. But God is not going to look at you and say, because you did this, get away from me. He's already reserved that choice for himself. I will not do that. Instead, I'll fix you. You come to me a broken man, I'll complete you. You come to me a hurting person, I will heal you. I have the power within myself to heal you, to complete you, to make you whole. That's his promise to us. That's his promise to us. Why? Because of his great love towards us. Number four thing. The prodigal son, as we call him, the young boy, Returned by choice, not by force or fear. Somebody did not preach a hell message to him to come back home. He did not smell sulfur, burning hell, and say, My God, I need to get away from this hell and go to God. No. No. The Father's great love. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That great love of the Father. Wherever he was, that love drew him and reeled him right back to his father's presence. It was a choice he made. It was not a fear he feared. And that's the same choice that you and I must make every day. The same choice we must make every day. Two more things and then we're going to go. This is so amazing about this father. Because not only did we see his great love towards the younger son, the other point I want to make here, point number five, is that the son, the older son, who had a work really hard to impress my father mentality, 
That's a whole lot. Let me say that again. The older brother who had a work really hard to impress my father mentality was also a son nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You see, for me and you, there are some people we already disqualified. You cannot be a son. Ah, you, you that did this one last week? No, I will help God by disqualifying you. <laughs> we already wrote them out. We've erased their name from the wheel. Because we are playing God, we are judging them, we are being critical, and we don't like what they are doing, and we are saying, you will not make it. That's not the father's attitude. Even though the younger, older brother was way off, had a work hard to impress my father mentality, even with all of that, even though it was wrong, the father showed him the same love, the same grace as he did the erring younger brother. Hello? That's the magnitude of this great love we are talking about. And lastly, just as he did to the younger brother, the father at no time was ever angry with the older brother either. Do you see how this love balances itself? The one brother did something ridiculous. Squandered his inheritance, riotous living, living with harlots, something we don't emulate, something we don't ever want to do. The father never was angry with him. The older brother never left home. It was just like the Ephesians church. Works mentality. Wanted to work to impress his father. The father didn't like it. Corrected him on it. But nevertheless, never once angry with him. That's the kind of love that father has for you and I right now. Are we going to receive it? Yes. Are we going to embrace that love? Yes. Are we going to ask God to help us? Not just to embrace it, but work it out. Yes. And the way we work it out is we need to start showing that love to one another. You just don't say, God lost me, I received God's love, and just ignore the people God surrounded you with. No, no. And I keep on saying this to us. Please, don't give yourself a pass mark when you blow it in those situations. When you fail to love your brother and your sister in a situation, when the Holy Spirit quickens you, you need to take count of that. You need to ask for grace to overcome that kind of lifestyle. I was telling Sammy and my wife, I just came back from a meeting with Dr. Hamby in Albany, New York. Small church. When I say small, real small. Pastor Charles, maybe, they, maybe about 25, 30 members. But I can tell you this. I left that place tremendously, totally impacted by their love. From the parking lot, how they met us. Helped us park our car. Walk us into the church. The way they fed us. The way they received us. You could not act that out. Because what you are acting after a while, it becomes so thin. I mean, you, you crack. Incredible. Now, this is, this is the amazing thing about this. Not, that love was so incredible. You know what, 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 what that love did? It made it conducive for the presence of the Holy Spirit. The three days we were there, nothing was scripted. Every song those guys sang, 
Why? Bible verses. Every song. No Hosanna. No Bethel. No all these other nice, wonderful uh, people. None of that. The message came from the pulpit. It turned into a song. Just like that. And all of the what? Terribly anointed and impacting. Every praise and service, praise and worship, brother, nobody was sitting. And this was not, nobody said, you need to stand up, you need to, no, 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 no priming. You know how you are prime people. Oh, come on now. Enjoy God. Bless the Lord. Praise him. Lift your, lift up your hands. They, no. At the sound of the first track, everybody on their feet, dancing like crazy. I said, what kind of human beings are this? The Holy Spirit was so present. In fact, I told Dr. Hamby, I said, you know what? Just being around you and following you, the greatest things I've learned is the orchestration of the Spirit. That's the truth. That's the truth. Incredible. What makes that happen? Love. I can shout it, preach it, teach it, uh, sermon, give me some great songs, and we can do all of that. It will not happen until our hearts are circumcised with his love. It's love. is what is, is, is the carpet upon which this spirit works on. And that's what we saw in Albany. It was absolutely, even down to the prophetic dancing. We just saw the Toshi gave us a, uh, a, a spoken word. All, you know, even after that, nothing was scripted. Praise starts, and everyone in the congregation just knows as they are led of the spirit, they came in and do what they had. And I'm telling you, each time it was right on. Okay, let, 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 let me tell you what I'm talking about. We need to go. Just like what Toshi just did. She did this because she was placed on the program. And that's a good place to start. That's fine. But I am saying a day must come when Toshe, Faith, and all of the rest of them that do spoken word is already ready with the spoken word because of an encounter that they've had with God all day long. And at the appropriate time in service, they feel prompted that, oh, what God has been putting in my heart all week is all right now. And without Pastor Ben telling them or Seven telling them, they step up here and give us the word. The same thing with this. A lady was sitting a few rows from me and the music person which was going on. Now, there's a large open space in the front. Everybody dancing, everybody dancing. And at a precise moment, almost as if by instruction, everybody went and sat down. Nobody told us to do that. Everybody just went and sat down. And within a window of 30 seconds from everybody sitting down, she jumps up and begins to do perfect dancing. Oh my God. Everybody's face was on the floor because you saw God so powerfully. And she was not a member of the church. No. And the pastor got up and said, you know what? What she just did is a greater manifestation of, of what's in the house. Because they had somebody in the house who normally would do that kind of a dance, but the Holy Spirit held her back so that we can see another manifestation. Not scripted. Not scripted. That is my desire for this house. Where we can come to church not having a script. Knowing that we come to church to meet the Holy Spirit. 
And when we are prepared like that, God does what he wants, not because we order it, but because he orders it. And in the service like that, anything can and will happen. Bless you.